Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Feast of Trumpets. And what a day this is. This is really one of the most important Feast of Trumpets we've had ever in the churches of God, considering everything that's taking place. Now, next Sabbath, I'm going to have a special message, oppression by the leadership in the churches of God. Because now is the time for repentance and truth and love and brethren being counted worthy what they really are as the children of God and not pawns of the ministry. And God does not like it because he's put his spirit in every one of us. And we're all precious, every one of us, to God. And we're all the children of God, not the possessions of a ministry. Now, I covered some of that in a message recently, but I'm going to cover it again, because that's absolutely important. Okay. Leviticus 23 and verse 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of this month, you shall have a Sabbath, a memorial, a blowing of ram's horns, a memorial, a holy convocation. Okay? Ram's horns were always used when there was war. You ever heard of ram's horns? That pierces the ear. I remember one time we were down in Houston. We were meeting in this hotel, and we had this room. And next to us was another group. And they were blowing the ram's horn. <laughs> and it was just driving us absolutely nuts. So we had to go to the management and say, please put us in another room down the hall. So they did. Okay, But when the ram's horn blows... You better pay attention. Okay? Now, we know this. We've covered Matthew 24 already. But, the world today is becoming more and more and more like what it was during the days of Noah before the flood, just exactly as Jesus said. And what is that? That the thought of every person was only evil continually. And we have that emphasized by all of the high tech that we have. Think how much comes through the cable TV that you watch. Yes, you get the news, but think of everything else. And look at the society around us. Okay? Now, let's come to Micah, the first chapter. And we will see that God means business. Now, he always gives a space of repentance. Isn't that true? Yes. Always gives a space of repentance. God always honors repentance. So whatever else happens this next coming week, as God looks at it, and God knows the hearts and minds of those people who are going to be in that 
assembly in Washington, D.C. next week. They expect well over a million, and it might even be two million, especially after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Okay. Pick it up here in verse 2. Michael 1 and verse 2. Hear all you people, hearken, O earth. Now when it says that, this means this is a huge thing. And all its fullness. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, even the Lord from his holy temple. God is looking down on what these events are taking place. Question. Why did Ruth Bader Ginsburg die the day before trumpets, the beginning of a new year by the calendar? And the beginning of the time where the Jews looked at it as a time of repentance, which it is when you understand all the troubles and difficulties that are going on. Okay? And let the Lord God be a witness against you, even the Lord God from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come. And will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. And the mountains shall melt under him, and the valleys shall split open, as was before the fire, and as waters that are poured down in steep places. All of this for the transgression of Jacob and the sins of the house of Israel. So you go back and you read the blessings and cursings in Deuteronomy 28. Oh, everybody loves the first 15 verses, all the blessings of this and that and the other thing. And then you start reading all the other verses. And I tell you, it gets depressing, doesn't it? Have you ever read it? This kind of sickness and that kind of sickness and uh, all kinds of troubles going on. And then it gets down. Let's go there. Deuteronomy 28. And people ask, well, why does God do all of this? Well, if there's no judgment against evil, you have lawlessness. Right? Who's the author of lawlessness? Satan the devil. Who's the author of law? God. And now they're learning you've got to have law and order. You can't have peace without law and order, right? Okay? So, judgment is there. So let's read it here. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, verse 41. And you shall beget sons and daughters, but you shall not enjoy them. Boy, isn't that what it is today? Think about it. For they shall go into captivity. How are you going to correct all of those today, the way that they are? I mean, stop and think, what are you going to do with Antifa? What are you going to do with Black Lives Matter? What are you going to do with dedicated communists who want to take down the nation, right? Well, first, there better be a large repentance to God so that he will pull his hand back for a time. Okay? But come down here to verse 43. The stranger dwelling among you shall get above you very high. That is taking place right 
at this time. The other half is coming. And you shall come down very low. And the only man between that and the next verse is Donald Trump. And don't say, well, there goes Fred Colder getting in politics again. Okay. Well, do you live in the nation or not? Do they profess to be God's people or not? Is God interested in them? Yes. Is God interested in the government? Yes. Is he interested in the Supreme Court? Yes. He wants to see, do the people really want law and order and peace and really believe in him the best that they can under the circumstances they have or not? Yes. Okay. But here's what's going to happen. And you shall come down very low. That's what Black Lives Matter wants to do, isn't it? He shall lend to you, and you shall borrow from him, and he shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. And don't think just because nothing has happened because of all the trillions in debt that we have, that judgment on that is not going to come, because it will. But when it does, we're all going to be poverty-stricken. No way around it. See? So how much do they come back to God? How much do they really go against all of the abortions and the killing of the unborn? We'll have to see. We'll know more about that after next Sabbath. Now, let's pick up the story and go through some of the things in Revelation. But as we finished off in Deuteronomy 28, that the children of Israel will go into captivity, and there are many prophecies in the Old Testament to show that, and they'll come out of it. Okay? Let's come to Hosea, the fifth chapter. Okay? Hosea, the fifth chapter, because this will give us a timeline into the three and a half years. Because as we saw, the three and a half years of the tribulation is going to start when the covenant is broken, Daniel 9, the man of sin goes into the temple saying that he is God. The tribulation begins. Israel will be the first to go into captivity. So let's pick it up here. Chapter 5 and verse 14, book of Hosea. Here's God speaking. For I will be to Ephraim as a lion, as a strong lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away and will take away, and none shall rescue him. This is when they go into captivity. I will go and return to my place until they confess their guilt and seek my face. Now we'll see where that happens in Revelation 7 a little later. In their affliction they will seek me earnestly. Now chapter 6. 
Here's what they will do when they're seeking God, because by that time, they will know, and with all the different things going on, they will understand that God is involved in it. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Here's what they will say. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he is torn, he will heal us, he is smitten, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. Now, how long is a day in prophecy? A year. So this is two years. How long is the tribulation? Three and a half years. So if you take away two years, how much is left? One and a half. Correct. Okay. Let's read it. In the third day, which is the beginning of the third year, okay, he will raise us up and we will live in his sight. Now, we will see where that happens in Revelation 7. But first, let's understand what is exactly going to happen to the rest of the world when the tribulation begins, and then God begins to deal with them directly. And why does it come? Let's come to Jeremiah, the 25th chapter, okay? Jeremiah 25. Now, I'll let you read the whole thing. Now, think about this. God told Jeremiah, take this cup, and you make all these nations drink of it. Well, this was a prophecy for the end time because Jeremiah never got out of the Holy Land until they went down into Egypt after the the children of Judah were carried off in captivity to Babylon. And then we know from history, because he had the daughters of Judah, the king of Judah, the king's daughters, that he went to Ireland, and that's how the breach between Perez and Zara was healed and why the throne of David is in London today. Okay? Little sidebar on that. But here's here's what God told him here. Verse twenty six, Jeremiah twenty five. And all the kings of the north, far and near, one with another, all the kingdoms of the world. See Jeremiah never got there. This was a prophecy for our day. So this is what's going to happen. Is it easier for all the kingdoms of the world today? Yes, indeed. Which are on the face of the earth. Now think about that statement. That's quite a sweeping thing, isn't it? And the king of Shishak, that has to be the beast power to come, Revelation 13, shall drink after them. Therefore you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink and be drunk and vomit and fall and rise no more because of the sword that I will send among you. Now we are looking at the witness of the two witnesses. This is what he's going to tell them. Okay? And it shall come to pass, if they refuse to take the cup in your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, you shall certainly drink. 
For lo, I begin to bring evil on the city which is called by my name. We saw that in Hosea 5 and 6. Okay. And shall you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, for I will call for sword on all the inhabitants of the earth. And remember one important thing about fulfillment of prophecy. God never fulfills to the minimum. He always fulfills to the maximum. Not just something, a little thing done in a corner. This is whole worldwide. Now I want you to think about this as we go through all of the events picturing the Feast of Trumpets. What condition the world is going to be in when God says, go rule? Okay, we'll see that. Okay, Verse 30. Prophesy against them all these words and say to them, Thus the Lord shall roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar over his dwelling place. Where's that? Jerusalem. He shall give a shout like those that tread out grapes against all the people of the earth. Now you circle those things and see how absolutely all-inclusive that is. The noise shall come to the ends of the earth for the Lord as a controversy with the nations. He will plead with all flesh. And he will give those who are wicked to the sword. And we'll see how that is fulfilled in Revelation 8 and 9 and 15. Okay? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, evil shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind shall be stirred up from the farthest corners of the earth, and the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth even to the other end of the earth, and they shall not be mourned, nor gathered, nor buried. And they shall be as dung on the ground." How you shepherd, because ultimately, who are the first ones in line of responsibility that these things take place? The religious leaders and the political leaders. So shepherds includes both of those. And cry and wallow yourselves in the ashes, you lords of the flock, for the days of your slaughter and your scattering are fulfilled, and you shall fall like a chosen vessel. Now, let's come and see one other thing here. Come to Isaiah 24. So you see, the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets is found in many places in the Bible, because all of these prophecies have to be put together. Okay? Isaiah 24, verse 1. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty, makes it waste. He turns it upside down and scatters its inhabitants. Now, I don't know if he's going to actually turn the whole world, or whether the magnetic poles are going to reverse. Because 
magnetic poles have been known to reverse. So if they reverse, that's the same thing as turning it upside down. As it is with the people, shall it be with the priest. As it with the slaves, so with the master. As with the handmaiden, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As for the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. Guess what's going to have to happen when the millennium begins? First thing, financially. All debt is wiped out. No debt. Got to start clean. Well, that's going to make the bankers upset. <laughs> okay. Verse 3, the earth shall be completely laid waste and utterly stripped, for the Lord has spoken this word. Now, that's not done all at once. We will see that there are several stages in Revelation which lays all of this out. The earth mourns and languishes. The earth withers and languishes. The proud people of the earth wither. The earth is defiled under its people because... They have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, and have broken the everlasting covenant. Gone against God and everything that they have done. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and they who dwell in it are desolate. Therefore, the people of the earth are burned and few men left. Okay. Now then, let's see how this starts. Let's come back to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. And this is why on the Feast of Trumpets at the temple, they had the trumpets blown all day long because this is a vast war that encompasses the whole world. It's going to be the greatest catastrophe to ever hit the earth since the flood. Now we know, chapter 5, that Jesus Christ was the one who was selected to open the seals. And this tells us what? Nothing of these events of the magnitude that are in the Bible are going to happen or take place unless God says now. It's not going to come from any man on earth saying to God, God, do it! No, God is going to say now. So let's begin with chapter 6 and verse 1. And I looked when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures, like the sound of a trumpet, say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, there was a white horse, and the one who was sitting on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Okay? Now, this is not Christ. Some churches believe this is Christ, just because Revelation 19 says Jesus is going to be on a white horse. Okay? This is the false Christ. This is 
the religious leader bringing all the religions together. Now, I've often thought maybe the first seal has been opened because of the way the Catholics are bringing all religions together. I don't know. But something big happened when Paul Twenty-Third had the ecumenical meeting saying, now we're going to reach out to all religions of the world. Well, it doesn't happen like, okay, everybody, let's come and kiss and make up. See, it takes time. It takes time. So this may have happened. Next one is going to be, when the man of sin, the son of perdition, goes into the holy place and says he's God. That's when the tribulation begins. And it begins with a great war. Verse 3, And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. And another horse went out that was red, and it was given to the one sitting on it to take peace from the earth. Now, isn't it interesting? What precedes all of this? A time of peace. And people will think, boy, look, at we've got peace for the first time. This is really great. All right? And caused them to kill one another, and a great sword was given to him. And when he opened the third seal... Now notice, seal 2, 3, 4, and 5 all happen quite quickly. And we will see that that is a two-year period that we understood from Hosea. Okay, so let's read on. And caused them to kill one another, and a great sword was given to him. And he opened the third seal. Now, what happens when there's war? Especially in to this day's world. What happens? Everything comes to a screeching halt. You run out of food because you can't buy it in the stores, and you're not growing any yourself. Starvation, famine instantly, right? Okay. All you have to do is look at the Middle East and see what happens when they add those wars and just exactly how it was and magnify that many times more that will cover the whole world. Okay? So the third creature, he said, come and see. And I looked and behold, there was a black horse and the one sitting on it had a balance in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, a measure of wheat for a silver coin, three measures of barley for a silver coin, and see that you do not damage the oil or the wine. Very precious and scarce. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come and see. And I looked, and there was a pale horse. Now what happens when war is extended? That's the pale horse. Okay. And the name of the one sitting on it was Death. And the grave followed him, and authority was given to them over one-fourth of the earth. Now, we don't know which one-fourth of the earth that may be, but that very well may be against Israel going into captivity. Okay? And to kill with the sword, with famine, with death, 
and the beast of the earth. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony they held. That's everybody down through history who has been martyred. Okay? That doesn't mean the soul is immortal, but we find in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, that right at the altar of God in heaven are the spirits of just men and women made perfect. When you die, spirit goes back to God, and he stores it right there. Then that goes into a spirit body. Okay. Now, because he has that, we'll see a little later on, he's got to have one for all of those who did not commit the unpardonable sin. Right? How's he going to rescue them if he doesn't have the spirit of them? We'll see that on the eighth day. And then he's got to have another compartment for all of those who have committed the unpardonable sin so they can be resurrected, be cast into the lake of fire. Okay? Now, here's what they do. They always look for someone to blame. Who did Hitler blame in the Second World War? The Jews. Who are they going to blame now? Those who are Christians. Okay? So, they answer back in this vision, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And white robes were given to each of them, and they were told that they should rest a short season yet until it be fulfilled that both their fellow servants and their brethren would be killed just as they had been. And he opened the sixth seal. Now then, look at what this is. This is going to be startling. Now I want you to remember the two years of Hosea 6. And in the third year, God begins to raise them up. It looks like it fits right here. Because look at what is going to happen. One of the greatest witnesses. Now always remember this. God gives a witness before he does anything. So here's one of the greatest witnesses that will be given to the world. Let's read it. Verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as the hair of sackcloth, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its untimely figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Now think about what people are going to be believing on the earth when they see all of this. This is startling. Okay? Now verse 14. Here it is. Then the heavens departed like a scroll that is being rolled up. Now when you have a scroll, it rolls out like this. And because of the tension of it being wound up when you let go, Okay, so what's going to happen? The heavens are going to roll back like a scroll. Boom! And what are they going to see? 
What are they going to see? All right. Let's see it. Verse 14. And Evans departed like a scroll is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the powerful men, every bondman, every free man hid themselves in the caves and dens of the mountains. Now, they're going to believe that this is the return of Christ. At first, later we will see that Satan convinces them it's not. And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great is the day of his wrath is come. Who has the power to stand? Well, let's look and see what that is going to be. Let's come back to Matthew 24. Okay? Matthew 24. Because rolling back of the heavens like that is an awesome thing indeed. Okay? Matthew 24. Verse 29. Matthew 24. And immediately after the tribulation of those days. When does the tribulation end against Israel? After two years. Okay? The sun shall be darkened. We just read that back there. Revelation 6. The moon shall not give its light. The stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now you think of the rolling back of the, of the heavens like a scroll. That shakes the heavens? Yes, indeed. Now notice what happens when that occurs. Then shall the sign of the Son of Man appear in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming upon the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Now that verse tells you the full extent of Christ's return. But it comes in two steps. Number one is the sign of the Son of Man first. That's the heavens being rolled back as a scroll. Now, what will they see? Okay. He carries it out and carries it to the resurrection. Okay. Verse 27 tells you what that will be, the sign of the Son of Man. Verse 27. For is the light of the day. Now, what's the light of the day? The sun which comes forth from the east and shines as far as the west, so also shall be the coming of the Son of Man. Okay? So when the heavens are rolled back, they look up there and there's another sun. Now, how close to the earth it is, we don't know. But this is a great witness that Christ is going to come. And after a while, they get used to it because it doesn't come any further. And that's when I believe that they will say, well, no, this is not Christ coming. But when that occurs, what's the next thing to happen in Revelation? Okay. 
Okay, this is after two years. Third year, he raises up Israel, right? Okay. Come to Revelation 7. Okay. That begins with 144,000. Where are they from? 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, right? And in a great innumerable multitude. Now then, think about this. Let's give a little time frame to it. Could this be on Pentecost and think of the harvest that the 144,000 great innumerable multitude are saved? Wouldn't that be a magnification of what happened at the temple in 30 AD when the Holy Spirit was given? Yes, indeed. Okay. Now, since there are no ministers to baptize them, what does God do? He sends an angel to seal them in their foreheads. So that means they're converted. Okay. Now, these, if you read the book of Matthew, about the parable of the workers in the vineyard, these are the ones who were hired at the 11th hour, right at the end. Okay? And they're converted for just one year. Now, what's the rest of the world doing from Pentecost to trumpets? Well, they're cleaning up from the earthquake. They're cleaning up from all the mess because of what happened. Okay? So that's a period of about four months. Now then, at that time, they're more interested in their own power on the earth. So we come to Revelation, the eighth chapter. And let's see what happens there. Okay? Now, here begins the only place in the Bible where there are trumpets counted one after the other, from the first to the last. And the last is the seventh trumpet. Okay? Now, chapter 8 and verse 1. Now when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and much incense was given to him so that he might offer it with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. Okay? Now then, who are all the saints that are praying? There are only three groups. The small group in a place of safety. Number one. The 144,000. Number two. The great innumerable multitude. Number three. Okay? Because they're alive and praying. So their prayers went up. And the smoke of the incense went up before God from the hand of the angel ascending with the prayers of the saints. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and cast it 
in the earth, and there were voices and thunders and lightning and an earthquake. Okay, all of this in preparation for the blowing of the trumpets. Now, verse 6. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound their trumpets. And then they went out one, two, three, four. Quite rapid in succession. And you can read it and look at all, all of the devastation that takes place. Then we come to chapter 9. Now it gets more intense. Satan is there and he's knowing that he's got to get things all organized. So here is the king of the north, chapter 5, gets the warning of the north and the east. Okay? So we find there's a super secret weapon here like a scorpion. So let's read it. Now, chapter 6, we have men against men in battles. Chapter 8, we have men and demons against angels and different armies. Chapter 9 and verse 1, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven was given to him a key to the bottomless pit. Now a star is an angel, right? And he opened the bottomless abyss, and there went up smoke from the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. And the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit, and locusts came onto the earth from the smoke. Now these are demons being released out of the abyss. And power was given to them, as scorpions of the earth have power, and it was given them that they should not damage the grass of the earth or any green thing. Okay? You read before, all the grass was burned up. But what happens when grass is burned up? It grows back, right? So here it is. Grass is growing back. Okay? Don't damage the grass or the tree or any green thing. Okay. And you have no power, verse 4, the last part, nor on the men who, it. they only come against the men who do not have the seal of God in their forehead. So those, those are the ones that are not of the 144,000 and great innumerable multitude. So here the battle goes on. Quite a battle. Come down here to verse 11. Tells you where they are from. And they have over them a king, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. His name, he has a name in the Greek, Apollyon. Behold, the first woe is past. The first woe is past. Behold, after these two more woes are still to come. So the next one is the army of 200 millions armies coming from the east. Think what that's going to be. Now, you see that all developing right now with China. And China also has ports along the way coming up to the Persian Gulf. 
and coming up to the, the Gulf of Aqaba. So there will be armies coming this way over the land. There will be armies coming this way by sea. There will be the armies of the beast all still gathered there, ready to go. Okay. And this great war takes place. You read the rest of chapter 9. And it shows that God has four angels there who are demons. Right there for a day, an hour, to dry up the river Euphrates so the kings of the east can come. Okay? Then after they have all this battle and there's no repentance, then you have chapter 10, the seven thunders. And please understand this. John didn't write down the seven thunders. So no one can tell what they are. However, there was one man who said he knew what the seven thunders were. And all he did was repeat the seals. Well, the seven thunders are different. We don't know how bad it's going to be, but so bad that God says, don't write it. Then we come to chapter 11, the two witnesses. Okay? Now, all the time, all of this is going on, the two witnesses are right there. The beast and the false prophet are right there in Jerusalem. Think about that. And the beast and the false prophet are trying to kill the two witnesses. And they can't kill them. Because every time they do, fire comes out of their mouth and they're devoured. And when they're finally killed, the whole world rejoices. Let's read that here, okay? And it says here, verse 8, And their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem, okay? Now then, everybody rejoiced. The whole world rejoiced. All of a sudden, everything calms down for a little while. Three and a half days. Everybody's rejoicing. They have a special feast. Send gifts back and forth to one another because the two witnesses are dead. And they can see it on their cell phone. They can see it on their iPad. Because I think God is going to keep all of that active and alive so there'll be witness for everyone to see it. Okay? Then what happens? Verse 10, they rejoice. Okay? And then verse 11. Then after three and a half days, the Spirit of life from God shall enter into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. Okay? Here's the fulfillment of a very simple thing in the Bible. The last shall be first. So what happens to them? A voice comes out of heaven and says, verse 12, Come up here. And they ascended into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them rise. And in that hour there was a great earthquake, a tenth of the city fell, 
7,000 men were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were filled with fear and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was passed. Behold, the third woe is coming immediately, meaning that as soon as they start going up, the seventh trumpet sounds. So they started their ascent on the way up. And when the trumpet sounded, that's when they were instantly changed from flesh to spirit. And they were the first two to come up before God the Father and Jesus Christ. Quite an amazing thing, okay? But notice, right at that point, okay, so this is the seventh trumpet, okay? Verse 15, Then his seventh angel sounded his trump, that's the last. There are not eight, there are not nine, there are not four, there are seven. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign into the ages of eternity. All right? Now, here's why the resurrection has to happen on Pentecost. Number one, it's the end of the harvest. And who are the last two Two witnesses. Then all the rest. Okay? Now, I don't know how the resurrection is going to take place. But it says here, to give reward to your servants, the prophets, and those that fear you, and so forth. Okay? But here's why it has to happen on, on Pentecost and not trumpets. There's still people who believe it happens on trumpets. Because taking over the world will be the greatest thing to take place. We need to be on the sea of glass from Pentecost to trumpets. For what? We need to find out, Lord, what are we going to do? We need to get our new names. We need to get our new clothes. We need to be presented to the Father. There needs to be the wedding of the Lamb and the Bride and the wedding supper. We need to be all prepared. How could it be on trumpets where you're resurrected on trumpets and all of a sudden here the saints are there and and here an angel brings over a horse and said, gets on it and say, get on it. You'll say, what do I do? I don't know what this is. Okay. So we have to know. This has to be planned which it is, got to be prepared, which it is, so that when we come down to the earth, we'll know what to do. We'll know who to follow. We'll know who's going to do what. Okay? Now, let's come clear over here to chapter 15. Now, I don't know how the resurrection is going to take place. I don't know if it's going to be done in 24 sections, like there are 24 hours on the earth. Okay. I think God wants to see that on that Pentecost, everyone on earth is going to see the saints being raised from the dead. And they're going to think, ooh, invasion from outer space taking people.
Now, is the earth being prepared for that psychologically? Yes, indeed. You ever watched Ancient Aliens? Okay. Well, those are really demons working with people on the earth. But the ancient aliens are who? God the Father, Jesus Christ, and then all of the saints. Okay? We'll come back. Okay, chapter 15. Okay, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and awesome, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is filled up. And I saw a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had gotten victory over the beast. And remember, where did the beast start? Garden of Eden. Is a serpent a beast? Yes, he is. Okay. And over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having lyres, or that is harp-like instruments in their hands. We're also going to have to learn how to play those, right? Do you know how to play a lyre? No. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God. That's for all of those from the Old Testament. And the song of the Lamb, that's all of those from the New Testament, saying, Great and awesome are your works, Lord God Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, O King of saints. Okay? Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you only are holy. And all the nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments are revealed. That's talking about the millennium that's going to take place immediately after this. Okay. Then the seven angels came, and they were given the vials of the seven last plagues. Chapter 16. Here we go. That's quite a thing. Okay. Notice it follows very similar to the plagues of the seals. Chapter 16 and verse 1. Then heard a loud voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go and pour out your vials of the wrath of God unto the earth. And the first went out and poured his vial onto the earth, and an evil and grievous sore fell upon the men who had the mark of the beast and upon those who were worshiping his image. Second angel went out, poured his vial into the sea, became his blood, like the blood of dead men in every living soul. Isn't that interesting? Animals are called souls. Okay? And the sea died. And the third angel poured out his vial into the fountains of waters, and they became like blood. Same weapons that God used where? Where did he first use these same weapons? Egypt. Right? Yes. Then I heard the angel of the waters say, You're righteous, O Lord, who are and who was even the Holy One, and that you've executed this judgment. And they have poured out the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another voice from the altar say, 
Yes, Lord, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgment. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given to scorch men with heat. says back in a prophecy in the Old Testament that the sun is going to get seven times hotter and scorch men, just like a big blast of a furnace coming. Okay? And men were scorched with great heat. They blasphemed the name of God, who has authority over these plagues, and did not repent to give him glory. How much does it take for people to repent? Think about that. And the fifth angel poured out his vial on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. They nod their tongues because of the pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, yet they did not repent of their works. Then three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophets. They are spirits of demons, working miracles sent forth to the kings of the earth, even of the whole world, to gather them together to the battle of the all great day of Almighty God. Okay? So they came. And the last thing to come was great hailstones, 180 pounds apiece. Now, there are still some who didn't suffer from that because we find in chapter 19. Because this finishes all of the actual events that the Feast of Trumpets pictures prophetically. Chapter 19 and verse 1, And after these things I heard the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Who's the great multitude in heaven? All the resurrected saints. Okay? Say, Hallelujah! The salvation and the glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. He has judged the great whore who corrupted the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Okay. And they say a second time, Hallelujah! Okay. And a third time, verse 4, Amen! Hallelujah! Verse 5, And a voice came forth from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, and all who fear him, both small and great. That's all of us on the sea of glass. We're going to have a big worship service of God before we come down to praise God, and that's after the wedding of the bride and Christ and the supper of the Lamb. Okay? Then after that, we're going to be ready. We're going to know who we are, what we're going to do, how to ride the white horse, how to follow Christ, and so we do it. Verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. And his eyes were like the flame of fire. On his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knows except him. Then he has, in addition to that, many other names. And he was clothed with a garment dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. 
Where did we first come in contact with that? John, the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. There it is right there. And the armies in heaven, that's all of us, were following him on white horses, and they were clothed in fine linen, white and pure, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with it. He shall smite the nations and shepherd them with a rod of iron and tread the winepress of the fury and wrath of the Almighty God. And he had a garment, and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of hordes. Boy, that's quite a thing, see. This is the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets. What a great victory this is going to be. Okay? Now notice this. Here we are coming down to the earth on our horses. I don't know exactly how that's going to be, how that happens in midair, but it's going to happen in midair. Okay? That's going to be quite a thing. The first thing that's going to be exciting is when the angels are taking us up to the sea of glass, right? And after everything that goes on and we come back to the earth, that's going to be really an exciting thing. Here we are on our giddy-up going down, going down with Christ to rule the world. See? Okay? Well, God cleans up his mess. Verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, To all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, all the eagles, all the vultures, all of the flesh eaters coming from every part of the earth, circling around, and here we're coming down in the middle of them, okay? Come and gather yourselves together to the supper of the great God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of cheap captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, those who sit on them, the flesh of all, free and bond, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war with him who sits on the the horse and with his army. The beast was taken, and with him the false prophet who worked the miracles in his presence, by which he had deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone. Okay? And the rest were killed by the sword of him who sits on the horse, and even the sword that goes out of his mouth, and the birds of heaven shall be filled with their flesh. How's that going to work? Christ is going to command that all of them be stripped of their flesh, standing on their feet. And it's all going to fall off and their skeletons are going to be there in the mass of all of this flesh and blood. And ooh, what a dinner for all of these birds. Just think what's that going to Think of the noise that's going on with the birds fighting over all of this flesh and gorging themselves. See? Okay? They're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Now, between now and atonement, I believe, going to have to be chasing down all the demons. And Satan's going to try and hide, but he's not going to get away. 
So that tells you what's going to happen on the Day of Atonement. So this is the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets, and we are going to rule the world in righteousness and in truth as spirit beings, as the sons and daughters of God, to bring peace to this world. 